Hello everyone. I'm your Tilaka Kumar, the host of Selecta podcast. This podcast is dedicated to inspire and empower women to pursue an excellence in career by filling the gender gap, to live to the fullest of her potential and to achieve financial independence. I will be interviewing amazing successful women sales leaders and entrepreneurs from India and around the globe. Where we discuss their sales journey, their challenges, their trends and much more. Let's dive in. Margie Solomon she is an actor model contributing writer at diversity professional advisory board member at harmony fields nashville supply inclusion business development consultant at cisco she recently retired from invision well not only that she had a lot of volunteering experiences such as elevate network she is a leadership team advisor at vision 2020 she's toast to tenacity women's equality day celebration committee chair so like that she has a lot of uh, volunteering experiences as well uh, welcome margie it's honor to have you here it's great to be here thank you first and foremost i would like to understand how the sales journey started margie because i know that time it was not that easy to do sales it was I actually started my career in sales. I worked in group sales at a theme park called Opryland USA. But I really didn't go into sales thinking, "Oh yes, I'm going to be in sales." I was a, a psych major in college, took a course called The Psychology of Sales, and I loved it. So it got me out of thinking about uh, just going into psychology to be a therapist but but using what I'd learned in psych and then of course what I had learned in college because I had been on stage acting since I was about 8 years old and had gone to college on a theater league scholarship but it led me to believe that I could use all of that in promotions and marketing and yes sales moving forward I really want to know what challenges you have faced in sales. Can you tell a specific challenge which really you struggled and how you managed it? My first job I experienced um sexual harassment and later on I experienced it again and then of course there was always getting promoted because I was a woman and a lot of the time I was the only woman in the room when I was in the travel industry There were a lot of women who were travel agents, but they weren't a lot of women who were in higher positions or owned agencies and that and that type of thing. So, I did promotions in the in the music industry. So, kind of the newer generations, I guess, are finding out what records are again, <laughs> what vinyl is, but with Spotify and all of the online streaming services, they don't know that back in the olden days, in the 70s, people uh went to work for record labels to get records played on the radio and i was one of only a handful of women who were actually promotion people in the music business in the 70s there weren't many of us there was a lot going on it was kind of like working in a locker room lots of jokes i don't think women today would would actually deal with that it was fun i was included i never felt when i worked there that you know 
that my colleagues were against me, but I made less than half of what they did. And I was always thought of as a secretary. Maggie, you said uh, you faced a sexual harassment. I know many women do not want to get into sales because they feel it is not safe, risk. But definitely, I'm not seeing anything now in this generation sales. I want to know like how you overcome such challenge and uh, what advice you want to give it to young women who are really fear to get into sales because of these kind of issues. It was an unsafe. You know, I had a lot of people who looked out for me. Fortunately, in the jobs that I had where where there was sexual harassment, you know, I quit <laughs> and I went somewhere else. I just didn't put up with it. So At one point when I was in the music business, I had a, I was in my office, my boss was there and I had a music director come in and grab me and, you know, <laughs> uh, not in a great place and right in my office, everybody was there, you know, he had an appointment with my boss and I walked back into my boss's office and I said, well, this particular music director just grabbed my chest and he was furious, stood up for me and it could have cost us a lot. if that particular music director uh, had gotten really upset uh, by him, you know, because he, you know, he represented a, a large station. But, you know, you know, back in the day, we ju you just took those things in stride. And if it was, if it was really bad, you left. And if you didn't have anybody to stand up for you, you left and you went, you know, and you went somewhere else. But safety, you know, one of the reasons women didn't get in, in the sales was because if they had families, there's a lot of travel involved, a lot of time away from home, there's a lot of hours uh, involved. And a lot of time, it's not necessarily, you know, nine to five or eight to six or whatever, you know, you're working. And I think uh, those things kept women out of sales for a long time, because it was difficult. If you had a family and no support, to be able to be successful and go out and do that. Was there any challenges to move to the next level in your career, leadership role, getting promotions, anything such sort during those days, Maggie? Well, you had to fight for them. <laughs> you know, it was always a challenge. In the, in the music business, I never really got one. I did the work, but I never got the, the recognition for it from within my company and I didn't make any more money. When I got into the travel industry, I was working at a um, at an agency and I was up for promotion. Uh, I was pregnant at the time and getting ready to go out on maternity. And I interviewed for the job and, you know, I was already pretty much managing the the area. And the man that ran the, the agency promoted a, a guy. There was one male on our team and he hadn't been there as long as I had, didn't have the experience I had. And he got promoted. because I was pregnant and they couldn't wait six weeks or eight weeks for me to come back to work. So I left. I'm also getting such uh, comments from many young women. No, they are really performing well, outperformance, but they're not getting the titles, the deserving ones. So what do you want to say to that? I think that it all really goes back to, you know, I was, I was doing a little bit of research about the, first women in sales. And there were women in sales in the 1800s and the 20s. It was direct sales. Like, you know, it was a woman who started Bissell, actually, and sold vacuum cleaners door to door. 
to help her family. And there were other, there were like four women who, who actually became multimillionaires back before, you know, women became multimillionaires. They couldn't even vote basically, you know, back in those days. So, but I found an article from 1984 called um, Birth of the Saleswoman by a woman named uh, Marta Vogel. And just the, the percentages. So from 1972 to 1981, the percentage of women working as wholesale trade reps increased 153%, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. 1984, an estimated 15% of the professional direct, sale, direct sales force were women. The first companies to begin hiring women actually started in the 80s, believe it or not. And it's really, you know, for some people, that seems like age of history. It's not that long ago that women were beginning to be hired and promoted into sales positions. There's a company called Morgan and Brother Manhattan Storage, and they were male dominated. And they began hiring outside saleswomen. In 1982, yeah, women have been selling for for a long time. But one of the reasons that they didn't go into sales was, you know, this study that Ms. Vogel did was that the image of the salesperson was of some dreadful combination of uh, Avon calling and Willie Loman dying. This was a gentleman named David King, who was the founder of Careers for Women back in the 80s. So everything sort of germinated and started to bubble up back in the 80s. But, you know, women face the same issues then that they do today. They just didn't have as much uh, support. I mean, things hadn't come to where they are today. But a lot of women, a lot of men and companies are hesitant to put women in sales for the same reasons that they were back then. If they're married, if they have children, if they don't have children and they're not married, but they might have children and they might get married. It's all the same reasons that it was back then. You know, they're not going to be able to to do this. Even when they are working and outperforming, they start getting to to a place where, oh my God, they're going to get married and they're going to start to have children and they're going to be gone and their performance is going to suffer and yada, yada, yada. So that's basically one of the reasons that it's tough for women to get promoted. Any suggestions or ideas you do you want to give to women who are facing such issues like they're not getting titles, promotions? Like, for example, they have to speak out to the management. You do. And you have to be able to negotiate what's happening. Sometimes you, you negotiate your job. But but you have to you, you do have to speak out. My secret sauce and what I think helps a lot is if you find a mentor and a sponsor within the company that you're working for or outside of the company that you're working for. Because what happens is when you have a mentor or, or really more so a sponsor, an advocate for you, they're going to sing your praises inside and outside of the company. So they can help you get seen and known by those people who you need to see you and know you, you know, in different departments or, you know, in leadership of the company. But it also gets you known in your industry and outside of your own company because, you know, it may come to a point where you know you're not going to get promoted there, you're not going to get the kind of money you want, and but you've got a reputation now and you can go out and sort of name your price because people are going to be wanting you. 
you know, they sort of hear that you're unhappy and ready to go. And then you start getting offers. So finding that sponsor inside or outside of your company is, I think, probably the best thing that you can do for yourself. I want to understand women in sales evolution from 80s, 90s till now. How do you see that time and now? Well, what has happened is that more women who have gotten sales uh, understand that it's not what they thought it was back in the back in the 80s. Before the 80s, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, really World War II, women started more women started working outside the home. You know, that was in the 40s. So, you know, women working outside the home was sort of an anomaly before before World War II. I mean, they did in World War One. There were nurses, secretaries, things like that. But and most of them were women who worked outside the home. A lot of them were not homemakers or not mothers, you know, unless they had lost their husband or gotten divorced or something had happened. And so most of them were would clean houses or take an ironing or do, you know, way back in the day. So you didn't have a lot of women who were who were in sales. And it's funny, I, I was in a, a training course uh, when I was with Avis. Uh, rent a car and they talked about selling and and kind of the you know what people thought about sales and so the women who taught the class talked about the oldest profession which was women selling themselves and I think for a long time women in sales was distasteful for people because they were out selling you know and it was you know it was distasteful and now when, I mean, the, you know, the suffragist movement got women out, out of their homes, got them out in the streets. And, you know, women in, throughout history have done what they have to do to take care of their families and protect their families when they have to. You know, the women I talked about, to a woman had lost a husband or the husband couldn't work or they were off at war and they had four or five kids and they had to do something to put food on the table. So, you know, not until the second, you know, sort of women's revolution, which was the 60s and 70s, did women really start to, to look at and move into jobs that were male-oriented. Still had some of that feeling that, you know, being a, a corporate salesperson was selling snake oil. And um, they were, you know, callous and only cared about the sale and didn't care about other people. And I think, you know, women find that distasteful. So, you know, a lot of it had to do with women just didn't want to be in that business. They didn't want to be seen as salesmen. They didn't want to be callous. Now, it's not everybody, you know, you can't be a generalist about it. But, you know, I gave you the, the numbers. So today, 31.6% of professional salespeople are women. You know, from the 80s, 70s, 80s, was 15%. And it's now 31.6%. That's only like a 15, 16% increase over what, 30 years, 40 years. So now 42% of direct salespeople are women. And direct sales is Avon, you know, that type of thing, which moved from 41.5% in 2010 to 43, uh, almost 44% in 2019. So direct sales women continue to grow. But in, in overall professional sales, we're still only 
a little less than 32%. And that's uh, those are new numbers, by the way, from the Department of Labor. Uh, Maggie, thanks for the statistics, what you just said. Now we have a better understanding. I would like to know from you, how do you see the job opportunity for women sales force now compared to that time in 80s, 70s? Yes, I do. And I and a lot of women are being promoted now. And you see a lot of VP of sales who are women. And it's great. But, you know, that's happened pretty much in the 90s and in, in, in the early zips, really. You know, it started, it began to happen in the 80s. And women, you know, were getting promoted because what happened was once men hired them and found that their performance was superb and probably, you know, higher than half their male sales force, you know, they did start to promote them. And there were women who were VP of sales, you know, in pretty large companies. So banking was one where women started to, you know, finance, even though it was a very, very male dominated industry. But so yes, it has changed and it has gotten better. It's not great because we still don't make as much money as as our male counterparts do. You know, and I'm gonna say that sales is hard. It's hard. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman or pink or blue or orange. Selling is hard. It is not easy. And it takes a particular type of person to be able to sell, to take the rejection day after day after day after day and the pressure because you know as you know the salesperson the pressure is enormous to hit your numbers you know it's not hey i just did this and i just did that yeah but what have you what have you done for me lately what have you done for me today is always the question yeah i agree to you i know see no one bothers you know what we have done in the past everybody wants to know what you are doing today and what you're going to do tomorrow exactly and you know now people are put in buckets now Salespeople are so there's the farmer and then there's the hunter and there's the you know so it has allowed people to be in a position that they're best suited to because not everybody's a hunter um maggie do you remember the other day when we were talking about the dressing culture for women for several years pharmaceutical companies different types of industries found that if they hired young, attractive women to call on doctors, that sales went up exponentially. Now, that's not to say they didn't make a lot of money because they did, but uh, a lot of women went into pharmaceutical sales because they could make a lot of money and um, it, you know, it wasn't that hard, but they all were, I don't know if you've ever been in a doctor's office in the States, but if you sit in the doctor's office, it used to be, it's a little different now, but it used to be, you could sit in there and the, and you knew the pharmaceutical reps who came in because there was, it was always this woman with a skirt, jacket, suit, you know, dressed to the nines, pulling her little bag. Oh, can I see Dr. So-and-so talking to all the nurses, everything else. But, and I had a lot of friends who were in pharmaceutical sales who made a fortune and they were all extremely attractive. <laughs> when I was at Avis, I mean, you know, I used to costume to make my call, my sales call. Now I did it based on the culture of the company I was going to, I was going to see. But you know, there were a lot of women, colleagues of mine who, again, dressed nicely and well. We had a, you know, we had a code, but 
wore suits, wore, you know, pretty short skirts, you know, to make sales calls because most of our buyers were men. I believe dressing gives confidence to women. The way she dressed, the way she handshake with the customers, the way she carry herself, that builds the confidence in her. I don't know whether it attracts others, but it definitely gives the confidence to her own self. It does. It was funny. I I had a guy that I worked at a travel company and they'd hired this gentleman to come in and sell. And he was kind of semi-retired and adding money to his social security. And he was the most rumpled looking guy I have ever seen. And he was hysterical because our office was right next to a uh, dry cleaner. And, you know, we'd have to go on a sales call and I'd be looking for him. And I generally knew that it was over at the dry cleaner sitting in the, because they did alterations, sitting in the dressing room with a slacks off, having his slacks pressed before we went on the sales call. However, I mean, his shirts were always kind of rumpled and his tie was always askew and he wore this raincoat that was just, I mean, you know, and I, I'd go on sales calls with him and I'd be like, oh my God. But people loved him. I mean, they absolutely loved him. And he taught me a lot about, about sales when we went on those calls. But, you know, he was a guy. He didn't, he didn't really care. He was, the, you know, he was there to sell travel and, you know, talk about the corporate travel and talk about the sizzle. And, um, you know, he didn't know anything about it. That's why I was there to talk, to, to actually talk about what we did and, you know, how we did it. But he got us in the door and he used to bring all of the receptionists candy. And I learned that when I have, a, when I had a sales call, I always brought the receptionists and the secretaries something. I mean, I never went empty handed and it wasn't for the person I was calling on. It was for the support staff. Wow, that's great. First time I'm hearing that you're giving gift to the supporting staff. Why do you do that? Well, let's say you, you get an appointment, right, in person. It may have taken you forever to get this appointment because you have to get through all the gatekeepers, right? And so normally the gatekeepers in a, in a large organization, that's different now. I mean, you know, there's usually not a receptionist out front or you know, there's not a lot of support people, but back in the day, you had a receptionist, you had their assistant, you had, you know, all kinds of people that helped you get, you know, get that appointment and would put you through to them when you called, you know, instead of blocking you. And so when you get the appointment, you go to see them. Oh, Beverly, thank you so much for all your help. Here's a little candy you can share or whatever. Sometimes I'd try to find out what they liked, but, or, you know, when I worked, when I worked at Avis, I'd take a Avis mug or something, you know, and give it to them. And then when I got to the office, their assistant would come to get me. I'd, I'd give her a little something. And then when I called, when I would call again, you know, it would be, I would be able to get through to them or they'd tell me what was going on. You know, I mean, how many times does somebody had a great presentation, they were really interested, and then they go call and you can't get them on the phone again, right? Or you can't get that second interview. So you can find out things that are going on from, you know, somebody else in the office. That's a great tip, I would say. Thank you for that, Maggie. 
I just saw in your LinkedIn profile your mention retention required relationship increase engagement increase revenues do you think building relationship building engagement will increase the business yes quick story i when i was at avis i one of the global account reps assigned a several million dollar account to me because he wasn't calling on him and, and i would see them all the time and it was dragging down his portfolio right and so he thought oh well we'll just let her take care of it you know it's never going to it's never going to close i started a relationship with the buyer with this company and um and i always had the, you know i always kept up i would send articles or whatever thinking you know i'm never going to get this but you know we're on a we were on a committee together and so you know i just stayed in touch well one day something happened and they had a fight with their with their vendor with their car rental vendor vendor and they went out to bed and suddenly we were in the game and they called and asked us to bid because of the relationship that I that I built with this with the buyer and um, this is over several years and then it came down between us and another car rental company everything was pretty identical you know our pricing everything else they gave us the business and my boss called him and said you know everything was pretty much equal what made you decide to give us your business and he said because i trust margie to take care of us because she took the time to create a relationship with me when she had no reason to believe that we would ever 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 go to bed and i closed one and a half million dollar account because of my relationship so retention requires relationship tell us about envision well envision well is a health tech startup owned by a woman named tam williams it's been around for about 5 years but actually only launched the app and website etc in november of 2019 if you think about november 2019 it was not the best time to launch a business right so uh we worked really hard what i've done for tam which i've done for a lot of with several other companies is um tam is um envision well is a minority woman owned business and i work to leverage certification of these businesses as being minority or women owned small businesses to get them into corporations and accounts where it would take months or years for them to get into because you know they're they're small so i've worked in business development for these small businesses i always call myself the ceo whisperer because um it's a lot of fun to work with CEOs and help them you know structure their sales department and, and really understand how to um how to grow their businesses so envisionwell is is a is a terrific business um there's a great app the envisionwell app you can get it on um on google and uh apple and it basically gives you control of your own health and wellness 
And um, there are some just amazing, there's some amazing technology in this app where I can go in and hold it in front of my face and it will give me my blood pressure, my stress level, everything using um, certain points on your, on your skin. So terrific company. I highly recommend it. I recommend it for individuals. I recommend it for companies because it's a, it's a great way for people to be able to control their own health and wellness. Definitely, I'll be putting all these details in show notes. So tell us about how you maintain all these years, your beauty and the confidence. <laughs> you, are, you are extremely kind. <laughs> we talked about my age the other day. And so... And it's all right to, to mention it because I've been around a really long time. I think it's, um, you know, I practice self-care. And I think confidence, it wavers a little bit when you, when you head into your 40s and 50s because, you know, uh, you start to see a little ageism, especially in sales. And um, so you, you push through and, you know, you have to sort of dig deep inside yourself to be able to um, to bring that out. And the story I didn't tell was was when I was in the music business, Cher was on our label. And I she came into Atlanta for a show. And she took the time to spend 20, 30 minutes with me and told me to always, always, always dig deep. Do not let, allow people to treat you in any way that you do not want to be treated. Stand up for yourself, um, brand yourself, and dig deep and bring that confidence out. And I just, I, I remember that, you know, I was in my 20s, my late 20s uh, when I met her. And um, I have carried that with me forever. And, uh, you know, I've always been true to me, to my brand. Uh, I practice self-care which is what we talk about in Vision Well all the time. And I work hard to help other women. And I think as long as you are giving, and my favorite phrase is give to get to give. So I give, I get, I give again. Wow, that's amazing. So tell us your daily practice of fellow members, which helped you in sales and your personal life. One of my uh, bosses, when I when I left Avis, sent me a, um, an email and it was rules for sales leadership success. And there were 10 of them. And I still have this email and I keep it and I read it. And um, it, has, it has been one of the greatest things, one of the greatest gifts that any one of my former colleagues or bosses has ever given me, the, uh, my leadership. So I read this, I make sure I'm doing the things that, that it says. And then I have one other little tidbit that is about writing or getting in touch with people. And it, it, I call it the 25s. Call five people that you haven't talked to in a while and catch up with them. Handwrite five notes to people that you may not have talked to or you may have, you know, just following up or just reaching out. Handwritten notes, send handwritten notes. Make five introductions of people to one another that might be helpful for them. So make those five, make at least five connections for other people. And then uh, the other is 
make five cold calls, you know, to introduce yourself to, to five people. And the other is uh, talk to five friends or five family members. If you do the if you do the twenty fives, you will be um, wildly successful. So I read my rules for leadership. I do my twenty fives, and uh, I'm a notorious note writer, handwritten. I spend a lot on stamps. What is your secret of success in one word, one line? If you want to say, <laughs> persistence. You don't give up. <laughs> Never give up. Okay, that's nice. So, what's your secret to balance work life? I know you have children, now grandchildren. So, how you manage? Tell us about that. Well, you have to be kind of tough and not feel guilty about working. So, you know, yes, if I was out of town at some point and and my one of my children needed me. That was hard, you know, and back in the day, you know, you just could talk to them on the phone. We didn't have Zoom or anything, but I always worked. As a matter of fact, when my daughter was born and I had decided to leave that agency because they didn't promote me, I took her on a job interview and um, to a lunch job interview and set her up on the table and she was like two weeks old. And so, you know, about halfway through lunch, I said, excuse me. Took her into the restroom, better because I was breastfeeding. Came back out, put her back up on the table, and finished the interview. And then um, I got hired. So you just do what you have to do. You know, when I ran a, a travel agency, and it, it it snowed, a lot of my agents were women, and I had kids uh, in Nashville. We'd have, um, and the schools were closed. Rather than lose my workforce for a day or two. I turned our conference room into a daycare center and I had everybody brought their kids in and, you know, I had them bring blankets and sleeping bags so they could nap. And I set up back in the day when we had brochures and they used to make a walk around the table and stamp brochures and the older ones, the little ones, you know, had to have toys and all that kind of stuff. But you, do, you just do what you have to do and you make it work. Now, I will say that my first husband wasn't all that enamored with it. So I moved on and, and got a second husband. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's your decision. It's a life decision. And, you know, I don't believe in work-life balance. It's integration. So, you know, what you're doing is who you are, basically. And um, your children will learn that. I mean, uh, and they will model those things. I can remember my daughter walking out with, I don't know, it was a little bag that she had or a lunchbox or something. And, she came, she put, she put it by the front door. And I said, I said, what do you have there, honey? She says, I have my brew case. I'm going to work. I have my brew case, her briefcase. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, you're saying they learn from the parents, right? Agree with you. So tell us your volunteering work. I really admire you for that because you did a lot of volunteering work. How you could do a lot of sharing, caring to the community. You know, I got that from my mom, and uh, my mom was a feminist, and my grandmothers uh, were, and my great aunt, and my aunts, and so I come from a from a fairly strong group of women, and um, you know, part of what that entails is that you give back. So when we were growing up, 
we always did we always did volunteer work with with my mom and um when i was an adult then i started doing it and uh, but you know this you know i've always wanted for women to to be able to succeed uh volunteering is one of the best ways other than hiring and promoting women and working with women-owned businesses, you know, that's the other way that I'm able to give back and to help, you know, women succeed. So that's why. Thank you, Margie, whatever you have done so far, volunteering work for the community. So what do you want to be this planet? I guess I, I would like for all of the women that I've come in contact with to or who I've mentored and who have, or who have thought you know uh, that I help them in their lives that they pay it forward and they continue to do that with their colleagues with their children with you know and it doesn't have to be you know that they say my name but but that they remembered that somebody you know helped them and was there you know, when they needed, um, you know, a hand, that they continue to do that, that they make those connections for for women. I mean, I make connections for women, I, I don't even know. But, you know, if somebody calls me and says, so-and-so needs help, you know, with this, you know, I'm always happy to make that connection. And for men too, but, you know, primarily for women. So I guess the legacy I want is that feeling of confidence and hope and, and, assistance that you know that that I hope I've given to um you know a lot of women so that's what I want to do so we are end of the show how you want people to reach out to you if they want to they can reach me they can reach me also ways they can reach me at msolomon.dec at gmail.com or m Solomon at envisionwell.co. Co. Thank you, Maggie. It's my honor to have you here, such a senior saleswoman. Such a pleasure talking to you and a lot of learnings. Thank you. Thank you, Delaga. I really appreciate you having me and uh, it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> Bye. Take care. Thank you for listening to Select Her Podcast. Do subscribe and share so that it reaches the maximum women to get benefit by listening successful women's stories. Let's join together and support each other to change the face of sales. Meet you in the next episode. Until then, bye. Take care.